Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. Since far away, rising in justified, freely forever. One day is coming, a glorious day, a glorious day. Okay, well, good morning, everybody, and um, it really is a joy to be able to come together. Um, on this Sunday and and just continue to worship God with the people of God. It really is a privilege despite the circumstances that we are in. So um, we do count it a blessing to be able to participate in this way and uh, also to share the word of God with you this morning. But before I do that, um, I did take note of those that are, uh, are actually on with us this morning and I do want to take the opportunity to welcome uh, Dinah Morgan. I saw you there, Dinah. And I haven't seen or spoken with you for quite a few years. And so it's good to see you uh, there joining with us this morning. And I pray uh, God's grace and continued blessing uh, uh, with you. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, here we are. And uh, if you can, I want you to turn to Romans chapter four, which will uh, be our text in just a moment. Um, but we're going to look at. Uh, aspects or we're going to look at the resurrection but we're going to look at aspects or so uh, that's which is associated with the resurrection this morning and uh, a particular bible doctrine that we are quite familiar with but i want to look at it reflect upon it and uh, also i want to obviously share it in the context of the gospel itself and so what i'm talking about is uh, the resurrection in relation to our justification in Christ Jesus. The Bible um, teaches us quite clearly this particular doctrine and uh, it's found throughout the scriptures. But I want to look at it in its context here in the text that we will look at, which relates to um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that is associated, uh, as the Bible refers to, our justification. But see, the gospel that Paul preached he said was according to the scriptures and those scriptures was obviously that which related to the old testament there was no new testament around in paul's day and so these were uh the revelation that god had spoken and revealed through his word and the prophets in the old testament and so paul whose eyes were enlightened to this reality and this glorious truth preached it and revealed it to us in his writings and he made a clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he spoke about the gospel that he preached. And uh, he said in verse uh, number three, it says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas and then by the 12. But you see, 
the resurrection of Christ is so central. We focus on the death and we speak of the death and, uh, and, and in the context of the, the work of Christ and the work of salvation, the death of Christ is, is, is critical, as is um, uh, the resurrection of Christ. But obviously there's three components, that he died, he was buried, and that he rose from the dead. But you see, the resurrection in, in this particular chapter, we're not going to go through it now because um, uh, that's not the scope of what I want to consider with you. But First um, Corinthians chapter 15 deals exclusively and comprehensively uh, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how central and critical and crucial it is to our faith. That which we believe and the hope, the living hope that we have, which is in Christ Jesus. And so much so, he even says in verse 16 of this particular chapter, he says, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And so we can see that uh, the resurrection is so central to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the work of God in relation to our redemption and our salvation. And so if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then Paul says, one, our faith is futile, but two, uh, we are still in our sins. And so we understand that the whole aspect of the work of God in Calvary and the cross and the, the burial and death, uh, death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ is a complete package that delivers to us the, the salvation that we have received from God, obviously, that, which is a gift. And we'll consider that in just a moment. But you see, Jesus rose from the dead. And then the Bible says he ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God, having finished and completed his work. So it's a finished work. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ is obviously one aspect. And that is what Paul talks about here in Corinthians when he makes that. But um, also Peter, when he writes in his epistle in first Peter, chapter one, verse three, he actually says these words. He says, uh, who has begotten us? to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, the hope that we have this morning, it's not a hope in hope. It's not a hope in something that's, uh, you know, possible. Our hope, the Bible says, is a living hope. And that hope is uh, Christ himself, and it is grounded in the reality and the truth of his resurrection from the dead. This is not a fairy tale. This is not something that we just uh, hold on to some sentimental uh, reality, but rather it is a truth, amen, by which has real purpose and significance and uh, reality to you and I. We have a living hope. And so salvation is completed, and it is completed through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I want to look at this aspect of the resurrection in relation to a fundamental Christian doctrine that we know, and it is called justification. And so let's read from Romans chapter 4. We want to look at just one verse there, verse 25, and uh, also we'll consider verse 1 as well. The Bible says, speaking of Jesus, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Let's read it again. Who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised 
because of our justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, let us take note firstly that the scripture clearly says that Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses. And so when we think about this word delivered up, there's many aspects that we consider. Obviously, the scripture is speaking here for our offenses. But when you look at it, uh, there are two aspects that are associated with this particular word in the Greek, this word delivered. And so it means to surrender, to yield. But it also means to hand over. And so when you consider that twofold aspect of the meaning, you can see that both have an application to the fact that Christ was delivered up uh, to be crucified. I mean, let's think of it in the, in, in the first instance, when we talk about to surrender, to yield up, the Bible tells us that God gave his only begotten son. And so when we talk about being delivered, when Jesus was delivered unto death, we can first understand it primarily uh, as the will of God in, in sending his son to die. We're talking about the cross, which was foreordained before the foundation of the world. So this, he was delivered up in this, in this instance and in this manner. But it wasn't just that alone. The Bible tells us that even Jesus himself, Jesus, the son of God, as he walked the earth, and here we have him in the garden of Gethsemane. And he, he, clears, he says clearly, uh, it's uh, not my will, but your will be done. And he yields himself. He surrenders himself. And the Bible says even to the death of the cross. And we know that Jesus laid down his life knowing that he had the power to take it up again. And so, again, we can see this, this aspect of surrendering and yielding up that is associated with delivering up Jesus to death. But then... Uh, we can look at the other aspect of the Greek word means to hand over. And we can begin to see also that uh, Israel themselves, the Jews were them guilty themselves, having condemned Christ to death. They having judged him to be worthy of death, knowing that they couldn't crucify him. So they uh, condemned him and handed him over to the Romans in order for him to be crucified. So we see also that the Jews, the, the, the children of Israel themselves, had a hand in handing him over and uh, delivering him unto death. And then finally, there's the last aspect, which the Romans themselves, when which they also uh, fulfilled uh, and uh, did the act, fulfilled the act of actually crucifying Christ himself. And so he was delivered up in, 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 in the aspect of all of these things. And the Bible says in our text in verse 25, he was delivered up for our offenses. And this is, the, this is the central part of what the text obviously is talking about. And so whom God has set forth, it was Christ who was delivered up for our offenses, meaning for our sins, for our transgressions, for we are the ones that had broken God's law. We were the ones that were guilty. We are sinners uh, before God. And yet in light of all of our transgressions against him, the Bible says that God delivered him up for our offenses, for our sin. And so when we begin to see the nature of the gospel and we begin to see the purpose of Christ, and in, in, in dying upon the cross, we understand, this is basic, I understand that. 
but it is good to reflect upon the fact that it is because of our offenses that he was uh, delivered unto death. He died for our sins. And what makes it even more uh, 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 glorious is the fact that not only did God foreordain this before the foundation of the world, but the Bible says that the, and it was prophesied even through the prophets. And there's one in particular, again, that we're familiar with in the book of Isaiah in chapter 53 and verse 10. And uh, the word of God says through the prophet Isaiah, these words, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. And so here you have it. Christ himself, this is prophesied some hundreds of years prior to even this occurring that God had foreordained that Christ would be offered up as a sacrifice for sins. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And when you begin to think about what Jesus suffered, and all that he was delivered to in order to face the humiliation and the cross and all that went with it, we begin to see that this was all foreordained and part of the plan and purpose of God in which he would ultimately be offered up for our sin. He was delivered up for our offences. And this is what we find right throughout the scriptures, even in the New Testament itself. We have Paul writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And in just in that first part, it says, For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So he was delivered up for our offenses. He was delivered up for our sins. Our sins nailed him on that cross. And so when we begin to reflect and remember about the death of Christ, we understand clearly the purpose for which uh, God had delivered him up for, for, that is for our sins as a sacrifice. And so death is one aspect of the work of salvation that Christ has completed. And the Bible says that he was buried and then he rose from the dead. And so this, he was uh, three days and three nights in the grave but note the words in our text where it says that he was raised for our justification. Now, before we get to this word justification, I just want to make the connection as it's, as the scripture does between uh, Jesus's resurrection and our justification. You see, because uh, uh, there can be no justification for the sinner without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sure, the, at the death of Christ, where Christ said it is finished, and that part in which he was delivered up for sin. But you see, that was only one part. And then you have this aspect of the resurrection where he was to be raised for our justification. And this is the second phase or, or third phase, if you want to call it, in which the work of salvation is being and has been completed. That's why. Paul writes, if Christ is not risen, then we're still in our sins. And so this is important to understand. Uh, without that resurrection, there is no justification. We are still in our sins if Christ has not risen from the dead. And so, in other words, we begin to see that the resurrection rendered his work complete. 
the resurrection rendered the work of salvation, the work of redemption completed when he rose from the dead, presented himself as such and ultimately ascended into, uh, into heaven. Now, how did death enter the world? Sin. The Bible says death spread to all men. And the Bible clearly tells us that all men will die. That is a given fact, that death is a consequence of sin. And so when Jesus died and was buried and raised from the dead, we understand this morning that the, the, the revelation is that he gained a victory, a decisive victory over sin and death. And having risen from the dead, we understand that he has conquered both sin and death because death was a direct result of sin. When sin entered the world, death, death entered the world, spiritual death and physical death. And here's Jesus dealing with both aspects in order to give us eternal life and, and also ultimately uh, that we will, um, uh, we will put on a new celestial body in the resurrection that is to come when our salvation is fully completed in Christ Jesus. So it is important for us this morning to acknowledge the, the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as I was thinking about this, and it's important because you can actually turn, if you have a Bible, you can go to uh, Acts chapter 2. And what's interesting is you have here in the first uh, sermon that uh, Peter the Apostle preached on the day of Pentecost. And here he is, inspired by God. The Spirit of God has fallen and has come. And uh, here we have Peter preaching for the first time. And he touches on various things, but he touches on these three aspects and they are crucial and they are essential to the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we consider Christ, that's what we found in first Corinthians. And it is what we find here in Peter's first sermon as inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you look at verse 23 of chapter two, we have Peter speaking. And he says, him, now listen to this, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. We've already touched upon that in relation to our text, but he was delivered for our offenses. And we find this reiterated again, but this time in the purpose of his determined, God's determined purpose and foreknowledge. And so he, but he says this, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. So notice there's a twofold aspect here, just like the word uh, in our text uh, uh, delivered represents. And we see it clearly right here. In, uh, we have the, the God aspect in which he delivered him over, but that doesn't make men, um, doesn't, doesn't absolve men from responsibility. And the Jews themselves were responsible for condemning Christ to death. And so Peter doesn't hold back. He makes it clear when he says to them that you handed him over, you have taken by lawless hands, you have crucified, and you have put to death. And he charges them with this. And so uh, he again goes on to verse uh, 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he could or should be held by it. 
And so here it is. You have the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ being presented right here. You can go to verse 31. It says, For God, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul would not be left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. And so, verse 33, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out that which we now see and now hear. And so, here Peter is making it clear that he was buried, but death couldn't hold him down. His flesh would not see corruption, as, as all men, uh, such as you and I, in the grave. We return to dust, but not Christ. His flesh would not see corruption. So having been buried, and he was then resurrected, raised from the dead, and then the Bible says, exalted to the right hand of God. And so this, in essence, uh, these aspects that we have just considered, they make up the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if we are going to speak about uh, God's love, if we're going to speak about God's forgiveness, if we're going to share with people the good news, then it is imperative that these principles that are, are highlighted in Romans uh, here in Acts chapter 2, that we, we make an emphasis of these things specifically as we share and preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, he was delivered up for our offences. He was raised for our justification. Having been raised, let us now focus and bring a, 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 ourselves to this word justification according to the scriptures. Just what is justification? And so there are three aspects that I just want to share with you and just consider with you as we define this particular word in scripture. But firstly, it is a legal term. It must be understood first and foremost. When it's spoken about in Romans, it's spoken in this context and needs to be understood in this context. But there are three aspects to the word that we want to just look at. And the first one has to do with our acquittal. Or in other words, because of what Christ has done on the cross, we are now have made free in Christ Jesus. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed and so this is the gospel that we have been acquitted uh, because of what christ has done because of his death and through his resurrection we are now justified uh in christ for those that are in christ which means that we have been made free from the law of sin and death we are free amen from the penalty of our sins we are free from the power of sin in the gospel. The Bible speaks of a time in which we will be free from the presence of sin. And so when we talk about justification and we talk about our acquittal, we must understand the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, that we have been made free. Uh, we are free from eternal judgment. We have passed from death into life. We will not have to face hell or eternal uh, condemnation or judgment, as the Bible speaks of. Because now in Christ, we have been made free. And this is one aspect of the glorious truths that are associated with our justification in Christ Jesus. We have been acquitted. We have been declared free in Christ. No more guilt. And this is the second aspect that we can kind of consider. The fact that we have been forgiven. 
the fact that we are now justified in Christ, it means that we are free from the guilt of sin. We don't have to carry around anymore the guilt of sin. Now think about that because when we reflect upon our past, when we reflect upon those things that we have done and that we did uh, uh, before we came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ before we came to experience that we can come into the Christian life and you must understand that now I am justified. I am free and now I am free from the guilt of sin because he was delivered up for my offenses. He died from my sin. He wrought my justification through his resurrection and I am free from the guilt. And more than that, I have been made accepted by God through his death and his resurrection. I am acceptable now to him, which leads us to the third aspect of the word justification that I want to bring to your attention. And that is that we have been made righteous. We have been declared righteous in the sight of God. We have been imputed with the righteousness of God. And so when you think of this word justification and you begin to see all that it incorporates, and uh, let me read it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where it, it captures this. Again, it says, For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What an exchange that he took upon our sin and now we take upon his righteousness. We are justified. We are imputed with the righteousness of God. And this is what justification brings about uh, in our lives. And so it is important that we understand this. We were a guilty, condemned sinner, made free, forgiven by God, and declared righteous by an act of God. And that act is, uh, is the death and resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that purchased our salvation. And this is a glorious salvation. It is a great salvation, amen, that we possess and we have. And the Bible clearly tells us that it is a gift from God. Salvation is a gift from God. It cost God everything. He delivered him up to suffer uh, and to go through the, the, the ordeal of the cross in which he did. And yet here it is. The exchange is the offer of free grace, free salvation in which we become justified before God. And so when you think about that, surely the gospel is good news for bad people. The gospel is good news for bad people. Paul said that, the, that this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, he says. And surely we all come into that category. Now, this brings us to the next question that I want to consider. And again, I think it's important to, uh, to state these things. But how do I receive the free gift of salvation? If Christ has, has done it all, which he has, he was delivered up for our fences and he was raised for our justification. Then how do I receive that free gift of salvation? How can I, how can a sinner, 
I should say, be justified in the sight of God. And the Bible is clear because it tells us in, uh, in Romans chapter 5, 5 verse 1, when it says, therefore, having been justified by faith. Faith is critical. This is the, uh, we have been justified by faith. Now, I want to put this into context because faith is a, is a, is a critical component of being saved. And so, uh, again, there's lots of opinions and thoughts and, and teachings that surround faith. And I just want to share some things with you as I see it in the scriptures. But it's clear that we are justified by faith. And so we have to understand now the context in which Paul is talking about when he uses this particular word. He says, therefore, obviously, he's been speaking about something and it's not just revealed in verse 25. This has been a build-up right from the beginning of his letter to the Romans. He's been building up until this point in which he makes this declaration. And he's touched upon it actually in chapter 3, as we'll see in just a, uh, just a moment as well. But Paul is talking about the justification that comes through faith. And he, uh, in, this, in chapter 4 exclusively, he deals with Abraham. And he demonstrates that Abraham was justified not because of his works, but rather because he believed God. And the Bible says that it was accounted to him as righteousness. And so the issue of faith is, is, is critical in the work of salvation. But you see, the, the whole thing that Paul is talking about here as well is he's making a, uh, he's, he's in presenting the gospel in these chapters He's actually demonstrating how the issue of uh, people, in a nutshell, people cannot earn their salvation, that you cannot uh, obtain salvation by your works. There's nothing that you can do to possess and to earn salvation and can contribute to this work. It is a work of God and it is a work of God of, alone. And so when it talks about having been justified by faith, it's important for us also to understand what Paul is meaning by that. And I want to demonstrate that through the book of Romans itself. And also uh, we'll go to Ephesians in just a moment. But so many people think that they can be saved by, by doing good, by being a good person. You know, it's, the world is celebrating Easter. And, uh, you know, so Good Friday. Well, you know what? You, uh, I heard on the radio some person was talking about how they can't stop swearing and how they live and conduct themselves. But, you know, they're Catholic and they're not practicing Catholics, but they were criticizing the Catholic church. And the person asked them, did you, did you eat free, uh, meat on Friday? And they said, Oh no, 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 no. Only, uh, only eat fish. And so, you know, these are the, these are the mindsets of people that if they obey certain laws or if they do a, B and C, then somehow that will justify them before God. But you see, the Bible is clear. And maybe you can go with me to Romans chapter 3. Let's go back and just look at this and let the scriptures speak for themselves. In verse 20, the Bible says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so Paul is talking clearly in this particular chapter that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. 
and that all mankind is in the same boat, whether it's a Jew or Greek, they, there's no privileges in this instance in terms of the, the way in which one is saved. And he makes it clear that by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in the sight of God. And so this is a, 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 a deadly blow to a mentality that not just prevailed among the Jews, uh, obviously having had the law of Moses and having thought that somehow they could keep it and justify themselves, which was a, 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 a massive failure and misunderstanding of faith. But we live in a world where people somehow think that by being, how do you get to heaven? Oh, well, uh, uh, being a good person. I'm a good person. But being good does not qualify you. You cannot qualify yourself. You cannot justify yourself in the sight of God. The Bible is clear that all are under the condemnation of sin and the law or good works justifies no man in the sight of God. And so if you go down to verse 26, it says these words, and it's talking about God who demonstrates at the present time his righteousness this is through Jesus Christ. Now listen, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, though Paul says in Romans 5.1 that it is, we are justified by faith, it is important first and foremost to understand that the one who justifies is, is God himself. God is just and he is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And so uh, uh, and he present, and that, that relates obviously to the righteousness of God in those verses and we'll consider that a little bit further in a moment. But it's faith. It's the law of faith. God is the justifier and he's the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 27. Where is boasting then? Meaning that no one can boast in their works. No one can boast of being a good person. No one can boast of keeping the law or somehow having some right to stand before God and say, you owe me uh, salvation, that I have the right to enter into heaven because of my, my works. There's no boasting. Now, listen, he's saying that no one can boast on their works. Now, look at verse 27. It is, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. You see, the Bible refers to it as the law of faith or the principle of faith. And faith is the is is the key component here that paul is emphasizing and it is faith in christ jesus it's the same faith that abraham himself demonstrated as paul goes and speaks of in romans chapter 4 and then he makes that statement in chapter 5 verse 1 therefore in light of all of that we are justified by faith the same faith how were people saved in the old testament they weren't saved by keeping the law of Moses. They weren't saved by maintaining the animal sacrifices. The Bible clearly teaches that they were saved in the same way as Father Abraham, who's the father of us all, and he is the father of faith. Faith is that which saves. The principle has never changed. By, by faith, Abel offered up a better sacrifice than Cain. 
right from the beginning. This principle is right throughout the scriptures. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And so what I want you to understand here is because there are those that will claim that faith is works. There are those that will say, oh, uh, and we'll get to this in a moment in, Ephes in Ephesians 2, 8, where they'll say that faith is works. And so if we claim that that faith is our own, then somehow uh, that is uh, adding to the work of God. But I would contend that here in verse, in verse 27, Paul says that how do we nullify or what is it that nullifies the law of works? He says the law of faith. So in other words, faith cannot be a work. It actually, to the contrary, it actually nullifies works. And so when we speak of faith this morning, we are speaking uh, in, how, in what, that which the Bible reveals. It is faith where we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the law of faith. This is how righteousness is imputed to us. We, he was, Christ was delivered up for our offences. He was raised for our justification and therefore uh, having been justified by faith. And this is where Paul is talking about it. And so the law of faith is a crucial component in justification. In saying that, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 and let's look at verse 8. Because we find here Paul writing again. And so he's not contradicting what he's written in Romans. He's actually establishing it further. And he says in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we can't boast. And he tells us in Romans that, that, that we can't boast. And the, uh, the thing that nullifies boasting is faith. And so when Paul here talks in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. The gift of God is salvation. The gift of God, obviously, is the grace of God. And we are saved, but we have been saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. Paul's clear. It's the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God. But yet, it is through faith. And I've already established that faith this morning, as I say it's in the scripture, is not considered a work. It is actually, to the contrary, nullifies and counters the law of works. So let's go to Romans, back to Romans, chapter 3, verse 21. Paul, again, in establishing these glorious truths of the gospel of justification and God's grace and faith, because they're all associated, he says, but now, verse 21, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all, and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so we are justified freely by his grace. And so salvation 
is based on the grace of God. It's nothing that we have earned, nothing that we deserve, nothing that we have contributed to. It's a finished work completed by Christ in which we receive by simply believing in him, faith. You see, let's define it a little bit further. Faith is not the price which buys salvation. Okay, let me state that clearly. Faith is not the price that buys salvation. Because if it was, then that would make it a work. But, but rather, our, it's faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the blood that purchased our salvation. It was uh, uh, everything that Christ done, having been delivered up for our offences and raised for our justification in, in salvation being completed and offered to us on the premise of God's grace, being freely justified. And so um, we're justified through his blood. That's which per- that is what which purchased our salvation this morning. You see, faith is simply believing and trusting in God for salvation. It is simple as that. It is simply just trusting and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read to you a definition of faith as we define it. Faith is believing that Christ is what he is. Sorry, faith is believing what Christ is what he said he is to be and that he will do what he has promised to do and then expect it of him. And so this is the premise. It's faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence or confidence of things not seen. And so there's a, there's a confidence. There is a trust. There is a belief that is associated with that. And that is faith in Christ's work. Amen. On the premise of his grace and through faith. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And remember this, that faith, just to go a little bit further so that we're clear, faith is the channel, the conduit of salvation. That is all. But it is God's grace this morning that is the fountain and source of faith itself. In other words, let me say this. We talk about faith. And thank God that we have the ability to demonstrate that faith, to trust. But you see, even that in itself is, a, is rooted in the grace of God. If it wasn't God's grace, it, no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. And so when we begin to understand the grace of God and how it works, we can't yet exercise faith without the grace of God. And so it is important that we understand those aspects as well, lest we put too much overemphasis on faith, that faith is clearly rooted in the grace of God. And faith, we can go as far to say, is the work of God's grace in us. Very much so. But remember this, God believes for no man. God does not believe for any man. We must believe. And whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved and so grace and faith are the two pillars of salvation let's go even further go to romans chapter 10 and we'll see this in talking about the gospel itself and talking about salvation paul lays down for us a important principle in romans chapter 10 verse 8 he says but what does it say that is the scripture the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That is the word of faith, meaning that Paul is saying 
that the, 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 the it is a connected to faith is connected to an, a proclamation, a declaration that I believe in Jesus Christ. That is it. And that's why he says, now let's look at verse eight again. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead. There's the resurrection right there. It's central to the gospel message. He says, you will be saved for with the heart. One believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 11 for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord overall is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, a confession, a calling upon God, saying, God, save me. I'm not talking about some formal sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer saves nobody. It is faith that saves. And it is faith that is near you. It's in your mouth, Paul says. If you believe in your heart, it leads to a confession of the mouth. And that confession of the mouth is the word of faith, Paul says. And it leads to salvation because it is a belief. And that's why Paul, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Because he saves to the uttermost those who will trust him for salvation this morning. What a wonderful God we serve. And so believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, being justified by faith. And there's one other aspect that I just want to consider with you in the verse of our text. It says, having therefore, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace. Thank God for his peace. See, whoever believes on the name of the Lord will not be put to shame. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been justified. We have been made free. We are acquitted. We have walked free from sin, from the, uh, from, uh, delivered from our sins. We are free from the guilt of sin. Never, the mem memories will never be erased, but the guilt and the shame can be healed. Amen. Knowing that we have been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. He, he was delivered up for our fences. And so the Bible says the result of our faith is that we have peace with God. Peace. And this peace, really, it speaks of a, a rest, a tranquility, a harmony, that we are in union with God. We are at peace with God. As Hebrew says, we have entered into his rest. Jesus is our Sabbath. He completed the work of salvation. He did it all through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God. And it is done. And we enter into his rest. And when we enter into his finished work by faith, Having trusted Christ alone, through his grace, we enter into his peace. And what a peace it is. Amen. The Bible refers to it as perfect peace. The Bible speaks about it in the context of our lives as a peace that surpasses all understanding. 
and even in the days in which we live and those that are uh, 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 mankind is governed by such anxieties and fears and yet the Bible says we have peace it is a peace that passes all understanding it's a peace the Bible says is to rule in our hearts in the midst of all the things in the world that are wanting to uh, toss us to and fro and confront us with this and with that. The Bible says that God's peace rules in our heart. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And what a peace it is. And so salvation this morning, church, is all God's work. Justification is all God's work. God is the justifier. We believe. And we are justified by simply trusting him and through faith. And it's as simple as that. Let me close just with one last thought, if I can. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, the Philippian jailer is there as we know him. And Paul the Apostle is chained. And uh, you know the story where the, God brings about an earthquake and the chains fall off and the doors walk fly open and all the prisoners begin to run free and and uh the the jailer he's he's in a he's in a panic but what does he do he runs to paul and he says what must i do to be saved what must i do to be saved what do i have to do tell me paul what is it that i need to do to be saved and paul simply says and this summarizes it all. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Amen. God bless you all this morning. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this glorious gospel that we have in Christ Jesus, that we have been saved. We have, Lord, been justified. We thank you, Lord, that we have been declared righteous imputed with the righteousness of Christ. Lord, all because you were delivered up for our offenses, all because, Lord, you died for our sin, all because, Lord, you rose from the dead and you conquered death and you put away sin once and for all, Lord. And we stand, Lord, complete. We stand, Lord, washed in the blood and we can enter boldly into your presence this morning through the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord such a great salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I will enter his gates with this healing in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad.